you can't tell God there's no way and expect for it to work out in your favor. Uh, I, I should just look at my children that are scattered across the sanctuary and remember that, that doctors tried to tell God there's no way we would have kids. And man, I'm, I'm waiting for that day when the quiver is full is not about the, the first generation. It's about grandpa or great grandpa and, and blessed is the man whose quiver is full. And I, I pray Jesus comes back, but man, wait long enough to let me see that quiver, you know, but there, there's other reasons for that too. But we're digging in Genesis and, and to get everybody in a very quick caught up version of it is, is we, we have been really intentional about digging into God's word and looking to get past the lullaby effect where, oh, we've heard that Sunday school story so many times and, and God has been so good. He's opened it up so much and, and he showed us that through the story of creation, he's the God who knows when to say enough and, and how he, he desperately tried to convey to Adam and Eve that they were not an animal. They could go beyond the desires and the passions of this life and, and really do what he called them to do. And, and then we learned in Cain and Abel that, that that same struggle is there, that you're going to have to master the beast that wants more, that desire in you to make a name for yourself. And, and then we got to see God step in again and hit the reset button. And he destroyed the world in the flood with Noah, but he made a promise to us where he set his bow in the clouds. He set the most dangerous weapon of that day in the clouds to remind, and he said to help him remember never to destroy the earth again. Uh, it blew my mind that God said, I'm setting this up so I remember my covenant with you. And... And then we got to, if you jumped in on the podcast, you got to find out that Noah comes off the boat and immediately messes up the story again because his pride is hurt uh, as well as possibly his physical body. And, and then we get to see that mankind wants to make a name for themselves again with the Tower of Babel and God doesn't punish them. God separates them for their own good and to bring about his plan and his purpose and to get them back on track. And then we found a hidden treasure in a genealogy that explains to us why God is choosing the family of Abraham to be his chosen people. And we find out that Abraham marries Sarah or Sarai, the barren woman. He chooses her because he cares more about her and her well-being than about his own legacy and his own future. And if that's not a powerful illustration of Christ, I don't know what is. And then we get to see that Abraham's a little bit sneaky and he goes into Egypt trying to trick Pharaoh out of gaining some wealth. And, and God really doesn't punish Abram for it. But when he comes back, he gets presented with the same opportunity when he goes and rescues his nephew from, the, uh, from some really bad dudes. And the king of Sodom says, hey, you know, you can keep all the spoils of war because you're such a great warrior. And, and Abraham hands it off to him and says, no, I'm not going to let you say that you made me rich. Only God gets to do that. 
And then Abram enters a covenant called the blood path covenant, which was a betrothal covenant. And I won't re-preach that whole thing. If you get a chance, go back and, and look at that and, and study the, the Eastern world and the ancient Eastern world and the weddings and covenants that were tied to them. And it's just mind-blowing because Abraham kind of gets mad at God and has it out where he backs himself into a corner with his own words and God rescues him yet again and makes a covenant with him and walks the blood path twice because Abraham could never fulfill his side of the covenant. And God said, I'll walk it for both of us because I'm going to make up the difference where you fall short. And that brings us to today where Abraham's going to mess up the story again. Don't you love that God is okay with mess ups or, you know, to, to be a little more blunt, the screw ups of this world? God still seeks them out. Because if, if I'm watching and keeping score on Abraham, every time God gives Abraham just a little bit of what's going to happen, Abraham takes off running with it, trips over his feet. And Xavier will love this, you know, if you ever watch fail army videos, he, you know, he full out face plants and messes up the story. And for, for our generation, funniest home videos, you know, when somebody started doing something they shouldn't, you know, like riding a tricycle down a water slide, you know, and somebody's going to video that back then. Nowadays, they video everything, so it's not as funny, but... Um, we're picking up the story in Genesis chapter 16. Now Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children. We've already explained that multiple times. She is barren. She is not having kids. <clears throat> but she had a female Egyptian servant whose name was Hagar. And Sarai said to Avram, Behold, the Lord has prevented me from bearing children. Go into my servant that it may be that I shall obtain children by her. Okay, this was a Mesopotamian culture. This was a cultural thing. It was not something that Abraham would have even blinked twice about. Because if your wife was unable to bear children, if she said, this person will be my surrogate, go have a child with her, it was completely allowed in that culture. Okay, you have to go all the way back to Abraham's roots. He grew up in Ur, which is in Mesopotamia. Uh, around modern day Saudi Arabia, Iraq. Okay, this was completely acceptable in the culture. I want you to understand that God is not necessarily okay with everything that's acceptable in the culture, wasn't okay with it then either. And but God, God still loves Abram and he loves what goes on because you'll see it in a minute. And Abram listened to the voice of Sarai. Now, to give you more of the background on that, I, I warned you this was coming, that Abraham drifted into Egypt to acquire all of that wealth through a, we'll call it what it was, it was a con. He was running a con. A, he was ripping people off in Egypt. And God didn't punish him. God didn't openly rebuke him for it. But I want you to understand that everything you do in this life has a consequence tied to it. And this is going to be the consequence. Because when they came out of Egypt, if you paid attention in the Scripture, it said that Pharaoh 
said, let them go and let them take all the stuff they've acquired. And Pharaoh himself had been the one who had let them acquire a big portion of his wealth, believing that he was the only suitor chasing after Sarai, who he thought was Abraham's sister. Really embarrassing. I don't want this blight on my record, so send them out of here. Because if we just kill them off, somebody's going to say something. If we send them away, people will think they were just the honored guests that I made them in my house. But Abram and Sarah took part of Egypt with them. And this is going to come up over and over again here in the Old Testament. The, the struggle is not going to be getting them out of Egypt. It's going to be getting Egypt out of them. He listened. And after 10 years in the land of Canaan, okay, this gives, it's kind of funny how it goes back and forth here, where you almost jump in a time machine so it tells you when it had happened. After Abram had lived 10 years in Canaan, Sarai, Abram's wife, took Hagar, the Egyptian servant, and gave her to Abram, her husband, as a wife. He went into Hagar, and she conceived. And when she saw that she had conceived, she looked with contempt on her mistress. And without taking too big a sidebar on that, put yourself in Hagar's shoes. She was put into slavery. She was taken away from everything that she knew. And on top of all of that, she gets put into this situation to become pregnant that she didn't necessarily agree with. I would probably look pretty contempt myself. It would be something where I would look on the, the woman who I had served faithfully and this is the position she puts me in. She puts me between her and her husband. And, and Sarai said to Abram, may the wrong done to me be on you. I'm not going to take the joke about don't give a woman exactly what she wants. <clears throat> but in the biblical sense there, don't give the woman exactly what she wants because she's going to flip it on you. <clears throat> he said, may the, she said, may the wrong done to me be on you. I gave my servant to your embrace, and when she saw that she had conceived, she looked on me with contempt. May the Lord judge between you and me. But Abram said to Sarai, Behold, your servant is in your power. Do to her as you please. Already again, messing up the story. He didn't step up and lead in this moment. He just says, Well, if you're so mad at her, she's your servant. Deal with her. I'm not going to take any of the responsibility. Ooh. Ooh. Sounds like a generation of fathers right now, but we're not going to go down that path this morning, I promise. Um, oh man, you could hurt some people with this one. Then Sarai dealt harshly with her and she fled from her. Anybody, you know, biblical principle here is don't hang around with somebody dealing with you harshly. They're treating you bad and abusing you. Get out. Until God tells you you have to go back. And most of the time, I'm telling you, this is the only case in Scripture where I see somebody being abused and God says, yeah, you can go back. But God also fathered a complete nation out of that. So well, let's, let's be fair. The angel of the Lord found her by the spring of the water in the wilderness, the spring on the way to Shur. And he said, Hagar, servant of Sarai, where have you come from and where are you going? And she said, I am fleeing from my mistress Sarai. 
The angel of the Lord said to her, Return to your mistress and submit to her. The angel of the Lord also said to her, I will surely multiply your offspring so that they cannot be numbered for multitude. And the angel of the Lord said to her, Behold, you are pregnant and you shall bear a son and you shall call his name Ishmael because the Lord has listened to your affliction. He shall be a wild donkey of a man and his hand against everyone, and everyone's hand against him, and he shall dwell over against all his kinsmen. So she called the name of the Lord who spoke to her, You are a God of seeing. For she said, Truly here I have seen him who looks after me. Therefore the well is called Ber Lahrat. <clears throat> I'm not even going to try and do it this morning. Okay? <clears throat> That, that is bear, bear is how it's pronounced. It's not beer. Okay, bear, lahai, roi. And it's between Kadesh and Beretta. See, I didn't do as well as you, Scott. I didn't read it fast. I should have just went fast and have confidence. Everybody would have thought I got the Hebrew right. I practiced it like four or five times in the chair yesterday. Audrey was there. And it was like, it wasn't going well. It doesn't sound anything like the dude reading it online. But the name of that well is the well of the living one seeing me. Okay, think about who Hagar is. She's an Egyptian. She came out of a, a society that was polytheistic. It had many gods. And she didn't know who this God was that kept speaking to Avram and to Sarai. She doesn't know that God. But God reveals himself to her in a powerful way. And she declares him to be the living one seeing me. And a lot of translations will shorten it to El Rohai, the God who sees. And Hagar bore Avram a son, and Abram called the name of his son who Hagar bore Ishmael. How did, it, how did Abraham know to call the boy that? See, these, these are questions I have sometimes with Scripture, but... Do you think when she came back to the household, she might have explained a few things? I don't know. And, and Avram was 86 years old when Hagar bore Ishmael to him. 86. Anybody signing up to be a new dad at 86? Diaper duty at 86? Whew. And he's not done. But the name Ishmael is, is where I had to do some digging this week. Ishmael translates, God will hear. I thought, no way. No way on, on Palm Sunday, one of the last phrases in the section of Genesis we look at is telling us about a young man's name that means God will hear. And, and if you look back into to Hagar's story, she says, the God who sees, followed by the name God will hear. And I thought, I thought, God, there's no way, there's no way you put that together accidentally when we usually come in and we preach the message of at the beginning of the week as Jesus began to make his entry in Jerusalem that the crowds gathered and they waved palm branches and we didn't get palms this year. 
My wife still has PTSD from getting smacked in the face during COVID. Okay, we, we, we don't get palms in our house for a while. But they, they waved palm branches and they laid their jackets on the road before him and they shouted, Hashanai or Hosanna. And that translates to save us now. Save us now. Those, those crowds were shouting that on Sunday. And then on Friday, those same crowds are shouting, crucify him. They're, they're letting it go of crucify him. He's not exactly what we thought we wanted. And, and crucify him actually goes harder than that. If you read the scripture, they, they cry out, let his blood be upon us. That's a part of the Easter story that gets left out far too often. And I thank God that in their ignorance, they shouted that. Let His blood be upon us. Because God saw their need. And He heard their cries. Do you think anything in their situation had really changed from Sunday when they're crying, save us now, to Friday when they're saying, let His blood be upon us? Had anything in their eternal situation changed? No. They were lost and messing up the story just as bad Monday as they were on Friday. And I want you to see this and... and you know, if you were at Parkview last week, some of it's going to sound real familiar. But I'm not going to read all of these scriptures for the sake of time today, but you can go look in each of the three Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. John doesn't have a great account of the Last Supper. Uh, maybe that's because he was too busy being the disciple who Jesus loved and resting on his chest at the dinner table. I don't really know. But Matthew, Mark, and Luke, they all give an account of what was shared in children's time with the Last Supper or the Passover feast on the week of the crucifixion. And, and these are all three the same account. And, and it's really interesting. They start out with, with Jesus commanding his disciples to go into the town and to tell somebody, the teacher is coming to have a feast at your house. We need your house. Get everything ready. And I thought, as a teacher, do I try that this week? Do, do I just say, hey, you know, you tell so-and-so we're coming for dinner tonight. Just get it ready. We're coming. Do you think that's really going to work? Carrie, will, will that work? Probably not, right? Okay, but, but Jesus did it. So it, it's, you know, in that crazy way, it's biblical. But Jesus calls for his disciples to observe the feast of Passover. And oh, I can't give away the spoilers. The, the series after Genesis that we're going to do on the Exodus you never knew. I'm not going to get into it because it's, I'm going to cry a lot during those. I'm just telling you because it, it connects to who Jesus is in such a powerful way. And I never understood it because I thought, man, it's just, you know, God picking on Pharaoh. The God of wrath that we always learned about. I, I, I hope I'm not busting anybody's bubbles, but God's not a God of wrath. And you're only going to see his wrath poured out a couple times in the Old Testament. And, and when you interpret that through the right lens, 
It's God's mercy being poured out. But during the meal, Jesus talks to his disciples and and he calls them to see. To see the present and the immediate future. And and he does this a couple of ways. And... uh, and what he invites them in with. And in two of the accounts, it's, it's right before he says it. And the third account, I mean, it's just a running narrative like he never takes a break from it. But the, the first thing in these accounts is, one of you will betray me. Doesn't that sound like happy celebrate around the table talk? One of you will betray me. And, and in each of the accounts, they all kind of panic a little bit. Well, which one of us is going to, who, none of us would betray you. I, I can just see the panic in the scripture. And, and Jesus is very calm about it. He says, whichever one of you dips bread with me in this bowl right here is going to do it. And, and Judas in the account says, is it really me? Like he doesn't know. Okay, if you back up before the Passover, it talks about Judas making this agreement. Judas is still trying to be cool about, like, is it me? Really? And Jesus, in this act, and we can't fully understand it because it's not in our culture, but to dip bread in a bowl, and the old English term for it is to sop. To sop or to soak up that bread with somebody at a table was an agreement to make peace with them. It broke my heart to see that in Scripture, that Jesus made peace with Judas before He ever betrayed Him. And then He goes on. And Judas doesn't leave the table. There's not an account where Judas just bails out before the Last Supper, before communion is instituted by Jesus, before Jesus looks at everyone at the table and says, I want you to see something. I'm going to teach you something right here. He says, this is my body. And it's going to be broken for you. This cup represents my blood. The blood of the new covenant. And and it's going to be shed for you. It's going to be poured out. And I'm not going to drink from this cup again. I'm not going to drink the fruit of the wine until we're in my Father's house. And if you know what that line means, it will utterly break you with excitement. Because that was a promise of the bridegroom to the future bride that he, he would take a cup and he would, he would take a drink of it and he would offer her a drink and he would promise to her. This is one of the most romantic gestures I've ever seen. And it's a powerful scriptural gesture to us. He took the cup and she took the cup and then he said, I promise you I'm not going to drink from this again until we're drinking it in my father's house. And what's Jesus tell his disciples before he ascends? I'm going to my father's house to prepare a place for you. The same thing happened in those weddings. The groom would go, and we'll get into this more another time, but you've got to have the picture here. 
He went to his father's house to build on a room for just him and his wife to start a family. For them to be together forever. So he promised he was never going to drink from that cup. He was going to go prepare a place. And then the third thing he said is, I'm coming back for you. And all of this should have been ringing bells with the disciples. This was their culture. And Jesus looked at it and he said, you're welcome at the table. You're welcome. And when you eat, I want you to remember, this is who I am and this is what I'm doing for you. But more importantly, that I'm coming back to get you. I'm coming again. So as often as you do this, remember me. Was Jesus so full of ego he had to be remembered? No. But can you imagine having to wait for your future spouse? Men in the room, can you imagine working day after day after day, building the room and your father coming in and being the inspector and like, it's not good enough. It's not good enough. You can't go get her yet. It's not done. You can't go get her yet. Can you imagine the frustration on that side of the marriage? But even more so, can you imagine the bride waiting Go back and read the parable of the ten virgins. If this dude was already prepared before he came to meet her, it could be like three days and he's coming back. If he was building something big, magnificent, and glorious, it could be 10 to 12 years before he came for his bride. Can you imagine waiting that long? Remember me. Remember me, because Jesus said no man knows the day or the hour. Nobody knows when God's going to say it's good enough, it's time to go get them. But if you go back to Genesis 1, we can trust that God is the God who knows when to say it's enough. So someday God is going to say it's enough, and Jesus is going to come back for His bride. But until then, what are we to do? As often as we eat, and drink remember him Jesus sees you right where you are he saw at the table he saw Judas the betrayer he saw Peter the denier he saw the other ten dudes that were absolute cowards and going to run and abandon him he saw them and yet he said I want you you're welcome you need to be in this moment with me I want to break bread with you to show you my body will be broken. I want to drink from the cup to show you my blood's going to be poured out for you. And there's always room at my table for you. Jesus is crying that out to a world today that's lost and broken and trying to find the answer in all the wrong places. There's a seat at the table for you. Come just as you are. I see you. I see you in the middle of your struggle. I see you in the middle of your confusion. I see you in the middle of your hurt, your loss, your shame. I see you. And I hear you crying to be seen. Come to the table. Join in union with me. As we go into this week, the Passion Week, God sees you. God hears you. 
And He longs for you to remember that every little thing this week, it doesn't have to be bread and wine. You know, that was what He had available. I'm telling you, if you're driving down the road to work with your cup of coffee and and a thing of Tic Tacs, if it helps you remember Jesus and draw closer to Him, it's communion. When we go eat lunch, doesn't matter what you get on your plate, but take a moment and say, God, I want to draw closer to You. Jesus, I want to remember You. And just like we said before prayer, when we begin to make that space for God in our lives, He fills it up. And and the Bible's very clear that when God fills something up, He fills it to overflowing. I can't wait till we get to Exodus to show that to you. But God sees you. And He hears you. 